And I'm Leah. And this is Content Void. Today, we want to talk about how our consumption of content has dramatically changed in the last few years and how YouTube has played a massive role in that. In 2021, YouTube reported that people watched 1 billion, yes, that's with a B, 1 billion hours of content every single day. It's fair to say that it is its own streaming platform in and of itself. So the question is, What do we watch on there and why is it so widely different to other platforms such as TikTok or Instagram? And one of the things that I have noticed in the last probably five years is how I changed my consumption of media. Whereas before I would watch TV all the time, it would be on 24-7 in my house as soon as I was at home with dinner date and come down with me and Mm -hmm. the chase always on as soon as I was home from work, I've noticed that there was a massive shift for me from linear TV to streaming platforms and also shorter form content. I was one of those people who would watch all of the Channel 4 stuff, BBC stuff, ITV, you name it. I was watching it all the time. I can't tell you the last time I watched normal TV. Apart from Love Island, which I then put on 9pm on the dot every day. But apart from that, I just can't remember the last time I watched anything there. And I even have YouTube Premium. That's how dedicated I am in terms of watching streaming stuff. And of course, all the major streaming platforms as well. So for me, it was the question of like how the landscape has changed and how good YouTube actually is for discovering new content. Alex, do you watch normal TV? (laughs) Apart from when you made me watch Love Island a few weeks ago. No, really, we don't in this house. Really similar to you. Massive throwback there for Come Dine With Me. I loved that show. We actually have Virgin Media. And I think the reason we have that is because it was cheaper as a package to get that with the internet than just the internet on its own, which is bonkers. Um, I don't even know where the buttons are. They're probably like under the sofa covered in fluff. But yeah. So I went through a big home and away phase during the lockdowns and was watching that. But even, you know, even on things like Virgin Media and Sky, you've still got on demand and you can still watch things when you want rather than having to tune in at that certain time. So even linear TV, and I'm doing air quotes here, has changed, hasn't it? So the only time I tend to watch it now is when my mum comes to stay because we like to watch things like Hoarders and Thousand Pound Sisters. Top shelf quality content. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I'm here for. But yeah, like you guys, in this house, we have pretty much every streaming service going. So we have Netflix, Disney Plus, Prime. And yeah, we do all of our watching when, you know, when we want uh, and what we want. And I definitely spend too much time on my phone watching TikTok and YouTube. I, like you, love YouTube. And I love the fact that there is so much variety. You can find whatever you want, whenever you want. And that's just so appealing to me. But how did you get into YouTube as a channel? Do you know, I don't really know. Um, I can't think about when it first started. Um, but YouTube is on the TV daily in, in my house. Um, I've been watching it for years. And I think this is probably something that you'd agree with. But Dave and I have separate profiles because we watch very different things. And the thought of his stuff 
you know, some of it's good, but the thought of his stuff infiltrating my algorithm just fills me with horror. That's actually a major pet peeve of mine. When Martin accidentally watches something on my account, I get flooded with similar content to that. Not so much YouTube, I feel, um, because we do watch very similar things, but it is mainly on Netflix. And I don't know whether you've noticed, but Netflix's algorithm is quite underdeveloped. Let's say I watch 1K drama on Netflix. Suddenly, my entire recommendation is just K-drama and it's a fairly big category. Not everything is good. Yeah. So yeah, I totally get your algorithm and splitting it accounts. That's um, such a good point because, you know, with Netflix, there'll be certain things that I want to watch like exactly right k-drama so like you i love k-drama but i tend to prefer the the more modern ones and we're getting off topic here but then there are so many where they're kind of historical dramas and it's just not my cup of tea but i get this whole korean drama section now on my on my netflix so dave and i watch really different things on youtube so it's really important that we have our separate profiles and i've actually now set one up for our little boy he's only He's five months old, um, but before everyone out there scoffs and says, oh, she just sticks her kid in front of the TV, there are really good baby sensory videos available on YouTube. But again, I've set him up his own profile because I I want to be watching what I want to watch, not looking at dancing radishes when he's gone to bed, you know. Absolutely. I don't think anyone wants um, just kid stuff recommended to their timeline. Oh my God, no, no way. So we've been talking about YouTube kind of generally and a little bit about our watching habits in general. But actually, one of the reasons that we decided to record this episode is because our YouTube preferences are really similar. For the listeners who don't necessarily know much about me and Leah, um, outside of Content Void, we're actually big food and travel lovers. And funnily enough, that's how we met. I think we met on Twitter, I think. Was it Twitter? Um, I don't know. It was one of those social media platforms. So it's no surprise really that food and travel are the shows that we both tend to to watch, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's kind of why a lot of people were probably surprised that this is not a food podcast. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So I just want to step back like a few minutes because earlier on you asked me what it was that got me into YouTube. So I said I couldn't remember, but actually you can remember, can't you? So so what was it? Well, I watch YouTube very sporadically, just like I guess a lot of people, um, if there was very specific videos that I wanted to watch. But I never really subscribed to any channels. Um, I just watched whatever I wanted on the channel um, itself. It was actually when I was planning a trip to Tokyo, I wanted to be really prepared for. So I wanted to see what certain areas looked like, things to do. Um, I had a very limited time there, so I wanted to make the most of it. So I was searching for content of vloggers who went to Tokyo, what they did, where they at. I stumbled across um, a channel called Chani Day, which is an Australian couple traveling all sorts of places. And there were really, really great videos on Tokyo and places they went and ate food. And they were really down to earth, really funny. I could relate to them and they weren't annoying. And that's when I discovered the whole back catalogue and I became a really big fan and I still like them. It's one of my favourite channels still today. And that's when I very first subscribed to a channel because I actually liked the YouTubers. So um, we talked about food vlogs and our passion in travel and food and everything else. What are some of your favourite uh, food vlogs? 
Oh my God, there's so many. Um, so quite a few that I follow do have a lot of subscribers. And this is the beauty of YouTube, I think, that you'll find people that you've potentially never heard of, but are actually really, really well known in that sphere. So the first one is a guy called Mike Chen, who is American Chinese, and his main channel is called Strictly Dumpling. And if you're into food and travel vlogs, then most likely you've probably heard of him. Um, I love I love his stuff. I subscribe to him. I watch when his new videos land. He's got loads and loads, like millions of subscribers, but he is, again, quite down to earth. And it's often just him eating food on the hood of his car or with his GoPro in the corner of a restaurant. It feels very authentic, which is what I love. And he's quite a nice guy to watch and to kind of follow. In a similar vein, Mark Weens uh, of Migrationology, which is a bit of a mouthful. He has traveled so much and loves his food and the passion on his face is just really, really appealing. So Luke Martin, another food and travel vlogger who is really easy on the eye. <laughs> I, didn't, I don't know um, him. I might have to look him oh. up. <laughs> um, do you know, it was actually um, a mutual friend of ours, um, Noel, who is an, another food blogger who actually told me about him and said, Alex, you want to look at this guy? And I did. And now I do. And he is beautiful. Um, so also um, Chasing a Plate, which is a Kiwi couple, uh, sounds quite similar to Chonny Day in that they just a really cool down to earth couple who are traveling around the world and making videos as they go. I recently discovered one called Top Jaw, which is uh, two British guys. Um, so there's a lot of European content because I think a lot of the videos that I watch and you watch um, are kind of um, East Asia and places yeah. kind of beyond Europe. But Top Jaw have done quite a lot of Europe content and they are beautifully filmed videos. Um, and also Cup of TJ. So she's um, so cute. She's like four foot nothing. And Yeah, I watch her as well. Oh, do you? Yeah. So she's mostly domestic in the US, but I just find her really funny. Um, so off the top of my head, that's a, a kind of a quick quick list. <laughs> uh, what about you? Um, very similar. I'm not going to repeat um, the same channels that you subscribe to. Apart from food bloggers um, or vloggers um, that you watch. Um, so I have like three channels that I follow and they're all Canadian Korean vloggers. It is super specific. So there's Days, Sarango and Grace. So they're all Canadian Korean. They are a mix of lifestyle and food vloggers uh, with a very specific angle to Korean food because I'm Korean and I love watching people eat Korean food and buy Korean groceries and they are fairly different from each other but um, they kind of vlog what they do in their sort of day-to-day -day life. They're really quite down-to-earth, nice and there's some very quite simple and nice feelings for when I watch them because they have really good music on their videos and it just makes me feel like I'm watching a really relaxing video of people. I then have um, a few vloggers that I actually subscribe to who are based in Korea. So um, they're two really pretty big mukbangers in Korea, uh, Yang and Sangyuk. They're both um, are very famous for eating quite a lot. Not necessarily challenges as such where they just sit there and eat a lot of food, but, you know, visit restaurants and smaller like 
food markets and so forth and eat a lot of food there. They're really charismatic and very lovely to watch. And then I also have this one channel I follow, which is really might be a bit weird to hear at first, but they are silent vloggers and there's a whole categories of bloggers who do silent vlogs. So I've heard they, of this. You heard of them, but you never hear the voices. Um, uh-huh. It's ASMR in a way. Um, they go with their lives and you watch them wake up, make breakfast and go about their normal day and cook a lot of food as well. Often you don't see their faces at all. So a lot of Korean vloggers who do silent vlogs, they don't necessarily talk to the camera or show their faces. Mm. And I quite like that. There's something to be said about vloggers who just don't, they just want you to focus on what they're doing rather than what they look like. And then there's um, one couple that I really like who are based in Seoul. The lady is Canadian and she moved to Korea many years ago and married um, a Korean guy. And they both live in Seoul and they have a fairly humble lifestyle because Seoul is very expensive. They're not too big, so they're not flashy or anything like that. And I love their lifestyle and they love their vlogs. They're just so cozy to watch every Sunday. But non-food and travel ones, anyone is interested. I love Screen Crush uh, for Easter eggs. If I watch any kind of Marvel, Star Wars content, any kind of like more geeky stuff, I guess. He does a lot of these videos where he examines Easter eggs and things Mm. I might have missed. Honest Trailer is a really great one to watch after you watched a really big film because you usually take it apart in a really humorous way. And then lastly, Hot Ones. Oh, I love it. I'm sure a lot of people watch because, yeah, it's it's a great uh, way of interviewing celebrities. So Sean Evans makes celebrities eat hot wings and they are hotter by the wing and ask them questions. And you'd be surprised how honest they are when they're really struggling with the heat. In terms of YouTubers we watch, I know some of them are really, really niche, especially when I kind of talk about subcategories within Korean vloggers and stuff. And you watch a lot of the same vloggers that I do. It's funny that both of us are massive YouTube consumers, but neither of us watch the biggest accounts, which is Mr. Beast or PewDiePie. Like, do you ever watch any of their content? No, I have. Honestly, I don't think I've ever sat down and watched either of those. And, you know, things like Zoella, I don't know if it's because I'm a little bit older, but that whole thing just kind of passed me by. And honestly, like Mr. Beast, I, God, I just find annoying. I just, I, they're just not my cup of tea. You know, all I want to see, and again, this is the beauty of YouTube, I want to watch a really nice, normal couple or, you know, character, a person, whether it's a couple or as someone on their own, going to real places and enjoying real food in interesting locations and talking about it. And that's my jam. You know, that's what I like. I don't need these huge characters. Yeah. It's just, I'm not bothered about that. I agree with that. I think therein lies the beauty in YouTube because you can carve out niche interests you have, whether it's food, whether it's something else, and you can find amazing content creators on that platform. You don't have to subscribe to those massive accounts with 20 million followers or subscribers like Mr. Beast or PewDiePie. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. And like you say, that's the beauty of YouTube. So Topjaw, for example, that I mentioned earlier, they've got something like 250,000 subscribers, which sounds like a lot. But actually in the world where you've got food and travel vloggers that no one's heard of, you know, across your friendship groups that have got four, five, six million, and the content, the quality that they are putting out is 
is unbelievable. Beautifully filmed, really well edited, you know, really good. And that's just in the food and travel bit. So in your opinion, what makes a good vlogger or vlog? So when I thought about this question, I, again, was thinking about food and travel because that's the majority of what I consume. So my points are a little bit specific to that. So first of all, the genuine joy at the food or the travel. So for example, there is a well, I think it's terrible. A terrible YouTube channel called um, The Best Food Review Show or something like that. Wow. Keywordy. Yes. It's so keywordy. So, um, you know, clickbaity. And he has this whole camera crew following him around. He's got over 10 million subscribers. He's the most hideous man. And he, <laughs> in, in my opinion, sorry, yeah. um, Mr. Best Travel Food Review Man, he puts that food in his mouth. And he's like, oh, wow, it's massive. It's the biggest pizza in the world, or it's the spiciest chili in the world. And I think, but where's your genuine joy? I want to see you like, you know, he might be annoying, but the way that Mark Weens just his face lights up in quite a comedic way when he eats something new and it is a bit annoying but that passion is so catching you know I will watch that and think oh my god all I can think about now is having a bowl of pho because I've just watched Mark Weens just literally close his eyes and then go to the side yes exactly um so genuine joy at tasting the food or whatever it is that they are doing. Um, finding discoveries. I've noticed with vloggers, and I don't know if this is because you and I come from the blogging world, that there are some of them that just go where everyone else is going. Yes. They're doing press trips. They're just, they're all there. Um, they're all there going around in circles. Whereas then you get um, Mike Chen on Strictly Dumpling. And yes, he does do some of that, but he also will often be, you know, in his home area of New York, um, in a Chinese restaurant, sat in the corner, eating something where there's two other people in the restaurant and he's discovered that place and he's telling you that it's great. He's not just circling around the kind of roadshow of, of places that have invited vloggers. The obvious places as well. Yeah. And then also being funny. So I want to be entertained. I'm watching YouTube because I want to be entertained. Um, so for me, uh, someone who's quite funny and down to earth is is what I want, you know? Yeah. You know, I agree with that, especially in the food world, because there are a lot of food vloggers. And sometimes I will come for the content because they are going to places that I really want to go to and I want to just know what it looks like. But what makes me stick around and watch that person for multiple videos and subscribe to the channel is their personality on camera. Mm. And um, I don't like those vloggers who are really concerned of eating nicely on camera. I don't know whether you've ever come across that, but there are some people who eat tiny morsels to make oh. sure it doesn't go over their face. No. <laughs> I imagine the food not tasting nice because of that when I eat food I am very visibly and audibly enjoying something so I just be like oh my god this is amazing or my face lights up so I want to see when someone eats delicious cake that they are genuinely enjoying that cake and not just be like oh I don't want the frosting on my lips and um you know ruin the shot or something like that I'm, I come for the interesting topic but I will stay for someone's personality and um 
the authenticity that you mentioned is is really important to me. I know that some vloggers um, try to be as authentic as possible to a fault. So I know of vloggers who have a specific persona and sometimes it can be very calculating because if you think about the algorithm and how we as the viewers use the algorithm to our advantage, imagine being on the other side, being a content creator and making money off you know the content that works and you see the numbers that certain videos make yeah and you know that your audience for some reason wants this kind of vlog and not the vlog that you'd like to do so I kind of get how um, you then become trapped into a circle where you can only create a certain type of content not because you enjoy it but because that brings in all the ad revenue and all the all the views and you know it will get you sponsorships yeah. and that's how you make money so I kind of I agree that the algorithm plays a big part in what content we see being created on YouTube. It is a shame that people can't take more risks in that. And, you know, you kind of touched upon one vlogger earlier, the best review show, whatever the channel name is. I actually saw an article the other week where he was criticized for the clickbaity content that he was putting out. Yeah, he was... I think he was in Singapore um, and he was eating something and he kind of insinuated that it was weird or gross or exotic. Ugh. Yeah, it's that kind of content. And yes, it will get your clicks. People want to see and want to be maybe grossed out. But in reality, what other cultures eat doesn't necessarily mean that it is disgusting. It is just something you used to. Yeah, I hate that. It's just so, it's not even that it's insensitive. It's just absolutely appalling that someone would use that kind of language when they're talking about another culture's food when actually that's the whole point of your show (laughs) exactly you know come on really I know and the audacity of doing that while making money off another culture's food so he goes to Singapore or any other country makes content makes money off it but yet slags it off to his viewers on YouTube. I mean, that is, for me, that's the kind of like the worst kind of vloggers. Yeah. Are there any other kind of red flags that you know that you kind of watch out for when you watch YouTube? I mean, that in particular is something that really gets my goat. <laughs> gets my goat. Uh, um. <laughs> <laughs> Um, And actually something that we've talked about on another podcast previously, maybe we can drop the link into that episode in our show notes, but no, not really. I guess one of the things is, again, that if there's just someone that I really can't stand the sound of, you know, the the voice, yeah, um, kind of annoying voices, annoying facial expressions, uh, or feeling quite fake, then that will put me off. And also kind of copycats, you know, you get so many vloggers now who are all trying to do the same thing. Um, and I'm not saying that you shouldn't explore those smaller accounts. Of course not. I totally want people to do that. But there are some that are the OGs for a reason, you know. Yeah, and I think they perfected the game, I guess, um, on YouTube. They know what works and then they know what their subscribers want to see. And yeah, I think at this stage, 
getting into food vlogging on YouTube would be incredibly difficult unless yes, you have yeah. an angle that's very, very unique to you. It's funny. So some of my red flags of YouTube content is also kind of my favorite kind of content. <laughs> so I love when I watch videos of American food vloggers, is often American, who come to Europe and specifically when they come to the UK. Because of course, when they say, are they going to the UK? Often it just means London. And as you all know, UK is a lot bigger than just London or England. Yeah. And my favorite kinds are when they go and try, in quotation marks, authentic British food. And it turns out... So have you seen the new Mikey Chen episode having fish and chips in London? There's salad on the plate. I know, but I have to give him credit because he went to an actual chippy, even though he eats in and there's chairs and everything. It does look the part. I would eat those chips and I would eat that fish. Um, I'm talking about vloggers who go to a Fuller's pub, (laughs) a chain one in London, order what looks like a really like a frozen piece of cod that someone deep fried and oven chips. You know, you can tell whether they're chippy chips or oven chips and they eat that and they're like, oh my God, this is amazing. And they've never ever had chippy chips or, you know, fish and chips. I mean, I love, I kind of love that content, even though I love to hate watch. (laughs) Yeah. Another, and this comes quite left field, genuinely dislike content on YouTube. Uh, For me, are parent vloggers who emphasize and make content off the kids. So I don't know whether you ever watch any parenting vloggers at all, but a lot of vloggers who have millions of subscribers, they put their kids front and center to the point where it feels a bit exploitative. There was one really bad case where I know, um, I'm not going to mention the channel and I couldn't because I forgot. Someone got into the news because they had adopted a child from Asia and I can't remember whether um, it was from China or Cambodia and that child had autism. They vlogged the entire journey of adoption and adopting a child from a foreign country. And they obviously clearly made a lot of money through that. And then that child had difficulties integrating with all the other children she had. And guess what? She gave up the child. The child went back into the foster care and the foster system. And obviously there was a tearful video about this whole thing. And there was a lot of backlash on that because, you know, a lot of people who watched it and bearing in mind, this is video content that she edited to make herself look a certain way. Even within that, a lot of people found big warning signs that this is probably not the best way of raising a child with autism. And, um... Yeah, that was pretty disgusting. I really did not like that. But that aside, I don't like over-commercialized vloggers, you know, where everything is an ad, there's a sponsorship here, and you know that the content is just generated to get clicks, views, make money, and so forth. And lastly, my favorite slash hated kind of content on YouTube are the apology videos. Uh Yeah. They are usually the ones that get around um, a lot. Even if you don't watch certain channels, you will probably have watched apology videos. And they're obviously always very specifically staged. Of course, there are some genuine apology videos and where I believe the person, but often it's a person who sits there in their room, is very low key, their voice is really ASMR, and they have (laughs) no makeup on. And here's the apology template, you know, no makeup, 
The template, the apology template. <laughs> but yeah, it's kind of, that's in the roundup and a very short list of things I hate and I love about YouTube. Um, mm. So for any newbies to um, YouTube who especially like travel and food, what, what are the channels that you would recommend to them? Well, you know, start with, I guess, the, the greats and your algorithm will pick up and it will start to recommend more. So for East Asian and American food travel, because as you said, a lot of them are American, it has to be Mike Chen. I keep coming back to him to start with his Strictly Dumpling channel, where he covers mostly East Asian food, so dumplings, but also noodles. He also loves American barbecue. So so he travels he travels a lot. And as we said, he was, he was in London last week eating fish and chips, but most of his travel is around East Asia and the American South. So covering all of the barbecue joints. And I just think he's great. Um, from there, YouTube will start to recommend others. And then you can start to kind of build your own list for a breadth of content. So if you're looking for a specific place in the world or even food, you know, um, use the keyword search. It's a really strong search engine. In fact, I seem to remember someone once telling me that YouTube was the second biggest search engine after Google in terms of the amount that it's used. So for breadth of content, whether it's a dish type or a cuisine type or a place is Mark Queens. I don't think there are many places that he's not been to around the world. And he, although he's a American. He actually has lived in Thailand for quite a few years with his wife and son. Interrupting myself, there's a bloke who does it well with having a kid that sometimes appears on his YouTube. Because even though I am a mum, I 100% agree with you on the parent vloggers. And that particular case that you were talking about with the, the child that went back into the adoption process, that was disgusting. She was, they were making money off this child and then the child was abandoned and I personally again even though I am a mum I do not like the whole mummy blogger mummy vlogger world and I purposefully have kept our little boy's name and face off my social media completely because he hasn't got the choice you know I'm not just going to splash his face all over the place in the hopes that I get sent some free beer or whatever so yeah going back to your question start with Mike Chen just because I love to watch him eat noodles and talk about all of the foods that he loves which happens to be all the foods that I love and for breadth of content Mark Weens how about you? I won't cover any food vloggers because you've done an amazing job with that. I would say if you're into true crime and you might be if you're a podcast listener, I would start with BuzzFeed Unsolved. It's a great channel. If you're into true crime, if you like storytelling, if you want to just know about mysteries and who doesn't, it's a great show, really well researched and an easy one to get into. If you like makeup, so does life. I highly recommend her because she is a very approachable vlogger with makeup. She isn't one of these James Charles massive vloggers who you're not sure whether you can believe her reviews. She's very down to earth, lovely person. She probably would give you some really good tips on those things. If you like both makeup and true crime, Bailey Sarian, she's a YouTuber who talks through crimes while doing her makeup. She is amazing. She's actually the only vlogger that I have on my subscribe list that isn't food and travel actually. Um, and she has a podcast. So if you want to listen to her without seeing her doing her makeup, she also releases everything as a podcast. Yeah, she has a very soothing voice, which is a massive bonus. And she talks about really unique and interesting things. So it's really, really nice one to get into. If you're more of a geek, 
aunt, you might be because you listen to our podcast. <laughs> what are you saying? <laughs> um, Screen Crush is great, like I mentioned earlier, for Easter eggs in the sort of DC, MCU, Star Wars universe, you name it. And if you just like random fun content where you just want to pick and choose, the Try Guys are really great for that. There is all sorts of things from traveling, parenting, food. They're really, really great and I highly recommend them. Amazing. So plenty to get your teeth into, basically. Right, that's it. Episode three, done and dusted. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. Um, Just a reminder that we are on social media. So find us on Twitter, find us on Instagram. And we're also on Patreon. So if you can't wait for next week's episode, head over to patreon.com slash content void. And there is a bit of extra bonus content there for you to get your teeth into. Uh, So until next week, um, it's goodbye from me. Goodbye from me as well.